0: Hey, Frazzled friends, this is Kara. If you're returning, thank you for coming back to Levital Corsalon. Salon. And if you're new, welcome. I'm assuming you found your way here because you are a frazzled type A imposter or overscheduling addict. Because that's who's hanging out up in here. And I'm guessing with Thanksgiving fast approaching... Some of you are freaking out. I know this is like when the holidays start clicking into high gear and there's so much going on and there's travel and there's family and there's food to be cooked and there's overeating to be done and there's all sorts of stuff happening and the pace just starts getting frantic at this time of year. I know because I hear this with my clients all the time, So I want to remind everyone to do two things. One, I want you to take a big, deep breath. And then I want you to take a long, slow exhale. And then I want you to do that one more time. And I also want to ask that you think about what Thanksgiving is, right? Like think of the name itself, Thanksgiving. So it's about giving thanks. And really, it's about giving thanks for what we have instead of moaning about what we don't or what we haven't done or things like that. And it seems so serendipitous that today's guest, Kelly Lingard, is here in the salon. I am truly inspired by the work that she does, and I think I've found a very kindred type A soul in, in her you know, I want to say sort of namaste, the, the type A in me salutes the type A in you, Kelly. Her work is incredibly important. So Kelly is the, the CEO and was the founder of Unshattered. And Unshattered is a nonprofit social enterprise providing pathways for sustained sobriety and economic independence for women winning their fight against addiction. And I know sometimes I use the terms recovering perfectionist, or I have a t-shirt that says recovering type A. And I talk about being addicted to overwhelm and overscheduling ourselves a lot. And I realize, you know, that is meant to be facetious. But Kelly's going to share how a talk by a woman named Emily and a boatload of faith inspired her to start Unshattered and the work that they do. And it is fascinating. As we were talking, there were so many details that just make this such a beautiful, beautiful organization. So we're going to talk about all that. And Kelly is going to share so much from her journey and we'll geek out a little bit about personality tests and talking about how we can work from our strengths more and play to our style. And I also wanna say, for those of you who think you don't have time to take care of yourself, I want you to really stick around to the end because Kelly courageously opens up about some of the most intense self-care that i've heard about in a long time and she shares it in the hope that we can all learn from it so without any further ado meet kelly hey kelly thank you for dropping by levital core salon how are you today i'm great how are you doing i'm well thank you i'm really looking forward to our conversation Me too. So maybe to get all of the listeners on the same page that I am, because I've basically been stalking you for a couple of weeks now, (laughs) (laughs) you are the CEO of Unshattered. Can you start by telling us what the organization is all about and what its mission is? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are a nonprofit social enterprise. The
1: social enterprise piece is important to me. Not a lot of people know what that means, um, but it really is just using business to have a good impact on your community. Um, so we're structured as a 501c3 organization, and we work with women who are winning their fight against addiction. Uh, Unshattered is made up of a team of women who make handbags out of all repurposed materials. We use military uniforms, uh, sets from Broadway shows, the backdrop from Broadway shows. Uh, we use reclaimed manufacturing scrap from companies that are using thousands and thousands of yards. And when they have you know tens or hundreds of yards left over, it's trash to them, treasure to us. Uh, things like leather coats and just about anything that we can find. And the mission is to help women um, who have gone through the hard fight of getting sober to get back on their feet, to maintain their sobriety and to become a positive influence on their community. I um, first heard about an organization called the Walter Hoving Home, which is in Garrison, New York in 2012 when a gal named Emily spoke at my church And she talked of being eight years old, and father had left the family, mom was ill and in bed a lot, and so she was taking care of herself and her brother and her mom. And at eight years old, she had a friend with a 15-year-old brother who thought that it would be funny to get an eight-year-old high. And fast forward 10 years, she's a homeless mainline heroin addict. And for the first time in my life, I thought, there is no other outcome to that story and it completely completely changed my understanding and opinion of addiction and why it starts and how hard it is to get out of. And I was watching these women go through this amazing program at the Hoving Home, which is just a phenomenal uh, residential recovery program. But they when they were done with their 12 months, a lot of them don't have job skills, don't have an education, and in particular, if they did not have a safe community to return home to it was really hard to maintain their sobriety, So I wanted to provide an alternative for them of going back home um, so that they could maintain it, get on their feet, and really just completely rebuild their lives. So it started very small, thinking I was just doing some job skills training and a fundraiser for the home. Um, And (laughs) we have grown into quite a large business with women on the payroll and a boutique
0: uh, that just keeps on growing. Kelly, what an amazing mission. What an amazing business you've built. I want to ask, had you previously had any experience with addiction? Or was this like you literally went to see someone speak at your church and then everything shifted for you?
1: Yeah, it it was the second one. Um, You know, part of our message is that almost every family has been touched by addiction. But honestly, Uh, there has been none in mine. And, you know, I always joke with my girls, I'm pretty much as squeaky clean as they come. I have never held a cigarette. I have never had more than two drinks in a row. (laughs) I have never laid eyes on pot. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, they tell me some crazy stories that are just wild to me. You know, when they talk about their backgrounds of living on the street and prostituting and doing, you know, they always say that they have done things to themselves and things to other people that they could never imagine that they have, would have done um, to get high. And I, you know, I look at them and I just see uh, see them as these beautiful, amazing, hardworking women. And I always say, it's like, it's like you're describing a movie because I can't, I just can't fathom that what you tell me about your past could be true of the person that I know in front of me now. So yeah, it's not a personal history. And I'll tell you, I started in a very judgmental place of thinking it was irresponsibility and maybe people should just quit sticking a needle in their arm and go get a job. Uh, And that is not at all what, what addiction represents. So when Emily spoke that night, it just completely changed, like I said, my understanding and perspective.
0: So I have to ask, what did Emily say? Like, was there was it just her story as a whole or was there something that actually just you felt it ping? Yeah, I mean,
1: it just was envisioning an eight year old girl being introduced to drugs. Right. And you're in a broken home and, you know, your mom is not mothering you much because she's ill and you're carrying the load of running a household really on your own shoulders at eight years old you know, the more and more of these women I get to know, it is people who are hurting, who have faced trauma and abuse and heartbreak in a way, in a lot of ways that I did not, couldn't even comprehend existed in this world. Um, But they have faced some really difficult things and they were offered something that allowed them to escape from the pain and the emotion of the difficult things that they were facing. And before you knew it, they wound up hooked on the substance and given the same trauma in, you know, if I had faced that in my life and had been offered the same solution, I would have taken it too. And so it just just really changed my perspective of getting off my high horse, of not having been in their shoes to think, man, it would have been me too.
0: That it's the, the circumstances that conspired that led to these outcomes for this woman.
1: Yeah, and what I respect about them so much is, um, you know, none of them tell their story with the slants of "woe was me or my life was so hard and I had no choice, whatever it's, you know, it's these appalling stories of hurt and brokenness. And yet every single one of them said, and it was my choice. Like I chose to deal with my situation through abusing a substance and I take responsibility for that. And now I'm taking responsibility to get my life straightened out. And when I see people who are trying to get it together and working hard and taking responsibility to move forward in the right way, I'm all in, all in for that.
0: Wow. So, Kelly, can you talk about where your work with Unshattered intersects with where these women are in their recovery process? Yes.
1: Um, it, it happens in a couple of different ways. Um, so I'm actually now the Unchattered is a partner with the Hoving Home where these gals are going through their recovery program. There's, there's four homes or actually I serve as chair of the board for the Walter Hoving Home and this is our 50th anniversary year. Uh, so there's four homes. There's one in Pasadena, California, Las Vegas, Nevada, um, Oxford, New Jersey and Garrison, New York. And so I have a studio inside the the campus of the home that's in Garrison, New York. We do draw women from the other campuses. And so while they're in the recovery program, um, they're on our team for about 20 hours a week, learning job skills, um, producing, you know, I try and give them, it's not just a sewing job, um, but I try and give them as much exposure and opportunity as I can to figure out who they are, what they're good at, what they were created to do, what they're passionate about. You know, we do a lot of work on personality type and self-confidence and things like that. So first off is when you're in the program um, part-time with the team. And then when you complete the program, uh, really that's just putting into place, like I talked about, giving them an alternative to going home. Uh, So they do a a training on-ramp and then can move into employment with the business where they're getting salary and benefits and paid vacation and health care, uh, depending on their level of the business, you know, a lot of really good benefits come with the employment there. And I really try to frame it for them and run it. Not that, oh, I have a job and I'm going to interview you and make a decision whether or not to hire you, Um, but for them to view themselves as businesswomen and entrepreneurs, that I will create an ecosystem that sells bags and markets bags and builds a team that will photograph them and list them on our store online and that goes out to events and sells them. But you have the opportunity by virtue of the pace and quality of your work to create a job for yourself. So I'm clear about what does it take to pay your own salary? Um, We do everything we can to train the women to be able to produce to that level and create a runway for them. Um, But I try to frame it as their choice, right? If you wanna step up to this and you do the work, you've created a job and an opportunity for yourself and I'll structure a business around that.
0: Kelly, I could tear up listening. This is (laughs) such fantastic work you're doing.
1: And this this
0: notion of creating an option for them to create their own jobs, Mm -hmm. this is amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. But here's
0: something I want to ask you, and this comes Mm -hmm. from the work that I do where I can't say that women don't negotiate for themselves. I, I Mm -hmm. I think women are getting stronger and stronger with negotiating and doing it more and more. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's really hard to work that skill. So are mm-hmm. are women in the process of discovering what they're good at and plugging themselves into different roles within the company? How does negotiation play into that? Is that something that you're teaching them to work on as well? Or kind of they're learning as they have to really negotiate their their new position for themselves?
1: Ooh, that is a big question. And I'm thinking of three conversations that I've had in the last 24 hours trying to teach them that principle. Uh, you know, one of them was about a woman who is um, 58 years old. This is the first time in 30 some years she's brought home a paycheck, doing phenomenally well, and is just about to move into her own little house. It, and so we just talked about what happens when you start to have success and other people want to come after that. Um, So talking to her about making wise decisions with her money and, and um, protecting the work that she has done in her own life and protecting herself from feeling obligated uh, to give it all away and, and not be helping the right people that are coming behind her. Uh, So, so for her, You know, I've really had her on the path for the last couple of weeks to put her in situations where she has to say no to people. I force her. Maybe she doesn't know it. I don't know if she's (laughs) going to listen to this, but I put her in situations where she has to say no to me. She doesn't like it. You know, she grew up in a very violent household, and so she's very much a peacemaker. Um, But that's a skill to be able to draw boundaries and say no. So I try and structure her work to put her in positions to force her to say no, because the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And yes. then when you have place a place of consequence, you've already built that muscle. Uh, another one of the gals I was speaking to uh, yesterday was about a, a choice that she was making on the team, um, saying that she couldn't do something. Uh, and the discussion with her was it's not that you can't. It's that you're choosing not to, because I know that you can do this and I know that you know you can do this. So when you say I can't, you need to know that I hear I won't. And I'm, I, I just want you to be clear that that I won't is not serving who you want to become. And all of the things that we keep talking about that you want in your life, know that your I can't is in contrast to what you've said you're pursuing. So if you hear it more accurately as an I won't, then you can get past it because your belief changes about where the control lies. Yes. So yeah. So I think it's, you know, it's really that's a that's a skill set that we've all had to learn. And I try to uh, like when I had the conversation with her yesterday, it wasn't, you know, I said, this is not criticism. I just want to reflect back to you what I see happening so you can consider if your language is moving you towards where you want to be.
0: Wow. Well played, Kelly. Well played. Thanks. <laughs> and I have to say, like, I'm hearing you as a teacher. I'm hearing you as a coach.
1: Mm-hmm. And I also
0: know your background was as an engineer and a physicist. Right. So how did you get from there to here? Yeah, crazy, right? I
1: did not ever think that this would be something that I was doing. Uh I worked in the technology industry for my whole career, loved it. Um, You know, I was successful. I was in an executive role um, running a a billion-dollar piece of a company and, you know, traveling all over the world and um, was on the corporate track to just move on up the ladder. And like I said, I met Emily. I got to know these women doing the hard work of recovery and just fell in love and so much respect for what they were doing. I knew I had to do something. Um, that said, at the same time, there was a little bit of an intersection of burnout in my job. That even though I loved it, uh, I was at a point where both my husband and I, who works in the same industry, we were both traveling like crazy. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I'm very much a builder and a creator, and I had climbed up into a job that was, you know, eking out the next 10% of revenue um, it it wasn't a transformative job and that's what I love to do. So I was stalling out in my passion a little bit at the same time. You know, I, I always say that like, that was God's way of prying my sticky little fingers off of this career that I loved (laughs) is to go out on something that I was like, okay, I think I probably could let this go. Um, but there was a moment, um, I was sitting in church where my pastor did a sermon on the calling of Elisha who was out plowing a field and he was called to go do the next thing and he slaughtered the oxen and burned the plow and went and did what he was called to do. And I cried the rest of the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I talked to my husband, I called my parents, I said, "I, I have to quit my job, I think I'm done here. And by Friday of that week, I told my boss that we needed to figure out how to wrap up my role and figure out an exit strategy for me to
0: go and do the next thing. Kelly, thank you for sharing all that. (laughs) I mean, it was kind of crazy. In the private conversations I've been having with women for eight years, I hear a lot about this. Like, I hit a place of burnout. I'm doing all the right things. I'm quote-unquote successful But why does this just feel so deeply unfulfilling? And thank you for sharing that you had that moment of clarity that is also sort of terrifying in its own right. I'm sure that's a lot of what the tears were about that afternoon. (laughs) Right. Yep. There's something that happens when you're standing on the precipice and you know, I just have to jump. (sighs) I just have to jump. I can
1: remember... Um, I can remember shortly before that, um, having a conversation with somebody at work about a new car that he had got. I think there were several of us in the conversation. He had got a new car and, you know, Oh, is, is it like the other one you got? Blah blah, blah. Somebody said, where are you going to store it? And he said, Oh, at my other garage in such a, such a place. I was like, how many garages do you have? And he goes, Oh, I have a lot. This is my 14th car. And I thought, Oh my gosh, what am I working for? I do. You, <laughs> can you even list the cars that
0: you have? Can you even and keep I, track I'm not, of the keys? I'm looking
1: my <laughs> off, but, you know, I I'm not a high roller that that lifestyle was not interesting to me. I wanted to be about loving my work. And I, I you know, it was just kind of that several months or a year maybe of just these signs of what are we doing with our lives? And then Unchattered was taking off and it all just kind of built up to that moment of when you're called, you got to go. And so when that moment came, there was no
0: question. So I have to ask, because I know other women listening are probably dying to hear the answer of this. So did your husband and your family think you were nuts?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh absolutely um my
1: husband's very very supportive poor guy you know i drug him out here i was working for a corporate headquarters and you know it was i think 5 years after we moved out here that i was like okay i'm done with that uh he thought at first that his job was to be in the cheerleader role of yes your job is hard i know you can do it because my historical pattern was you know get promoted every 18 to 24 months, I'd get a new job, I'd be overwhelmed. I'd think, oh, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. Oh my goodness. Why did they pick me? I'm going to fail. And then I would get, you know, you can do it. I know you can do it. And then I would get the hang of it. And then a couple months later, I'd be like, I'm bored in this job. I need the next one. So I'd move on to the next challenge. So that was just my pattern. So he just thought we were still in the, oh my gosh, I'm dumb and I can't do this job mode. And I was in the like, I'm exhausted, and this is not fulfilling. And here comes the next thing, and I love it, and I'm ready to go. Uh, and so, when it was clear that that the calling was to move on, he was absolutely. In fact, he was the one who sort of made the final decision. Like, okay, tell your boss. Like, let's if we're gonna do it, let's do it. <laughs> um, I am, you know type a, I love a pat on the head. I love a gold star. I love to go to the dentist because they're like, Oh, good job flossing. You know? <laughs> I live for that. And so my father thought that I was crazy. Um, and so that, you know, that was an interesting point in my life to feel like, okay, I am being called and I have to be obedient to my calling, even when significant people in my life, may advise against it. And after I left, he came around, but I, I really feel like I did it without my father's blessing, um, which, you know, kind of was a, a big move. Cause I, I just, it was a bigger calling for me at that point. And, you know, I respect his opinion and he did not understand why I would give up, um, the opportunity that I had worked very hard for. Uh, but it was clear to me that it was time to go.
0: Wow. So for women listening, and I know everyone's situation is totally different, but this is certainly something that comes up within the confines of my sessions and partly why I, I started this podcast. So we could be having these conversations where people could eavesdrop and, and learn yeah. from them outside of just mm-hmm. the clients who hire me. What freed you up most or what allowed you to make that leap? And what advice would you have for women listening that are in a parallel situation?
1: For me, it was a part of my faith, right? I believe that God created us with specific purpose, that he knows how we're wired because he made us that way, um, that he had specific, specific intent for what he wants us to experience and achieve in the world. And when I felt like God said, go do this, even though it was terrifying and scary, there was also a peace in it because it, it was so clear. I read a quote yesterday that just talked about, you know, we think so much that faith is about contentedness and peace and that everything is right in the world, that that's, we should have faith in that. But the reality is faith is scary and dangerous and risky <laughs> and brave. Uh, and, and that's exactly what it, what it felt like to me. But it's through that trust, that you get to experience peace and God. So really for me, that's, that's what it
0: came down to. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's important mm-hmm. for people to be able to learn from your story. Cause I think mm-hmm. I hear it all the time. Like just that, that women are in that place kind of like, did you ever play double Dutch? Mm-hmm. You know when like two people are swinging and the ropes are going and they're getting it into a rhythm and you kind of have to stand there with your hands up sort of leaning into it a little bit before you can, like you need to feel it out before you can totally dive in. And I think there's a lot of people that sit in that place for a long time. It sounded like for you it was a relatively quick journey, but then lightning striking clarity.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Yep, I'm glad you
1: used that example because I try and use that double dutch example all the time, and sometimes people are like, "No, I don't know what that is." <laughs> I think, "Well, shoot," because
0: it's such a, a perfect metaphor. <laughs> yeah, you have to totally be in rhythm; otherwise, you're just going to get smashed on the head and shoulders with ropes going at high and speed. You yeah, and you can't hesitate. Once you decide you're going to go in, you just have to go. Yes, absolutely. And so, Kelly, I want to ask a a different question because I. I want to understand, too, about the work. Why sewing? Why bags? That is a great question.
1: My mom would joke that she is not surprised at all that I would wind up making handbags later in my life because when I was a child, I would sew purses out of everything. (laughs) Um, I I love purses. I go to the store to look at the purses in the same way that people go to the zoo to look at the animals. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I just love them so that has always kind of been an obsession I do have a little bit of a collection Uh, but I think where the intersection came was I um, after my grandfather passed away I had a suede jacket that belonged to him but it was too big and the shoulder seams were ripped out and you know the elbows were worn out but it hung in a closet for a long long time too big and worn out to wear and after I don't know how many years one day I finally got brave enough to cut it up and I thought I'm going to make a tote bag out of this so I cut out the good pieces of suede and made a tote bag and now I have something that is both sentimental and usable Uh, So when kind of the idea for Unchattered was coming about, I thought, well, you know, I know how to sew. My mom taught me when I was growing up and pretty sure we could get people to donate some old suede or leather coats and that would be a cool thing to sell. I can probably teach the girls how to make bags out of coats. And so it just sort of evolved from there where we got a call from West Point. Uh, military Academy who asked us to do bags for the West Point Triathlon as pra- uh, age group prizes. We started getting calls from manufacturers who had scrap from design showrooms. Uh, people were giving us leather coats. Last year we we found a company that does the sets for Broadway shows. So they've been a connection for us um, to provide you know backdrops from shows that have clothes. So I don't know it has just evolved, but I love the metaphor of everything that we make our bags out of, but for Unshattered would be in the trash. And so it's something that is discarded and without purpose and nobody wants it. And we put it back together into something beautiful, purposeful, and meaningful. And that's exactly what God has done with these women's lives. Feeling or being literally thrown out, rejected, purposeless, you know, really on the edge of death and devastation and rebuilt into somebody who is beautiful with purpose and meaning in their life.
0: It's such a metaphor and a beautiful mm. one for the work that you do. Mm. And something I saw on your website, and I wanted to learn more about it, is you you talk about how you're infusing a Japanese art form called, I think it's Kinsugi. Kintsugi? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that and how Absolutely. how that Absolutely. relates? Yeah, it's a, it's a
1: form of art, Kintsugi, just like you said, where when a piece of pottery was broken way back in the day, uh, they would use gold lacquer in the cracks to put it back together. Uh, so you would have this piece that had these gold veins running through it. And it was so beautiful, it actually became a form of art where you would feature those broken lines. And so that term has come to mean more beautiful for having been broken. So that's kind of the theme behind our entire business. And so on most of our bags, we incorporate a gold seam somewhere where we actually use a metallic gold thread as our little nod to that Japanese art form.
0: Unreal, how cool is that? Yeah. And there's also a message in each bag, isn't there? I, was, I, there is. I saw that and I was like, what is this? I've, yeah. There's so many interesting details.
1: Yeah, there's a couple. We call them the secrets of the bags. The first one is the gold scene that we talked about. Um, the other one is as the girls are creating the bag inside the liner, you can't get to it once the bag is finished, but inside the liner as they're making it, the girls all write a special message or blessing or a verse or their number of days of sobriety Uh, One girl liked to trace her handprint in there, um, but I don't see them all. So whatever is meaningful and special (laughs) to them, they write on the inside of the bag before it's sewn up. So we always say there's a little blessing in that bag for whoever the individual buyer is. Uh, And then we also name the bags. Um, We don't name them all this way. Some are just named after the color or the pattern or whatever. But for a lot of them, uh, we collect names that are people either that we know of or are connected to of people who are still out on the streets struggling with their addiction. Um, We write those names on a board in the office. We pray for those names once a week. And then as the girls are making a bag, they start with a kit, and they'll pick one of those names, name the bag that they're making in honor of that person, and pray for her or him while they're making it. And then we always let our customers know that, you know, if your, if your bag is named Diane, that Diane is somebody that we know of, who's still out on the streets, struggling in her addiction that we hope and pray, uh, will find
0: healing as well. I have to ask, does anyone ever want to leave your company? Do they ever (laughs) want to go home at night?
1: (laughs) I think they probably do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because how are the work days structured, Kelly? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot of educational programming as well as the actual work. So what is, how does that all work together?
1: Right. Um, you know, it's really, I don't want it to be just a job for them because there's so much work to be done. Even after you've gotten clean, even after you have a year of sobriety, um, there's so much work to do in your personal life you know, a lot of them using starts very early. It is not uncommon for me to have someone that was eight or 12 years old when they started using. And so a lot of those things that you're supposed to learn naturally through adolescence in your early twenties have been missed. Um, Self-confidence is obviously an issue. And so my goal is to structure it so that there were, you know, it's a 40 hour work week. um, But that about 36 of those are workish hours and about four of those are personal development hours. So uh, we are, we have a a personal development curriculum and somebody on the team who is the transition coach to help the ladies as they go through all these next stages, right? Some of it is, how do you open a bank account? How do you write a check? Uh, How do you start saving up towards a car? How do you um, pay a security deposit on an apartment? Um, we are connected to, it's my church is right next door to us. So we're very connected to them. So the staff of the church really pours into the women in terms of spiritual development, helping them build connection and community with people around them that can love them. Um, so all of those kind of, you know, health skills and grocery shopping on a budget and eating healthy and just trying to think about all those pieces that move you from survival mode, um, to really living as an independent healthy positive contributor to your community
0: unbelievable and as an entrepreneur listening i know that all of these relationships and curricula and all of this didn't come together effortlessly
1: Mm -hmm.
0: how have you been so successful at at forging all of these pathways and all of these inroads into the work that you're doing, right? Like your church is is a big piece of the community. The work itself, the curricula, the, the flow from Hoving House or Hoving Home. Mm-hmm. It's Hoving mm-hmm. Home, right? Hoving Home. Mm-hmm. What's allowed you to be so successful in pulling all of these sort of disparate things together?
1: Ooh. Uh, I guess I have to enter that from a couple different angles. You know, you previously asked me, what was it that allowed me to make that kind of a leap? And I said, for me, it, you know, it was my faith in God and a calling. And I think that God has honored that because any of the resources that we have needed have shown, shown up. I mean, in unbelievable ways of people knocking on the door and saying, I have this. Do you need it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, come on in. (laughs) Yeah. Come on in. Um, so, I mean, it has just been sort of a miraculous path uh, of just sort of walking forward into God blessing a a plan and a calling that he gave me and knowing that all the resources that are out there that we were going to need, he could provide, um, you know, not to take away from that in the least. Cause I absolutely believe all of that. Um, you know, I, I, I love solving problems. So you, you also asked me how in the heck did I get from physicist and engineer to running a nonprofit handbag company? I also like really, really hard problems. And so, you know, it, it's delightful to me to see these disparate, difficult, hard things, and to be able to, connect people and connect resources to make something good. I think, you know, if I look back, I was going to say over my career, but I think if you look back over my whole life, the one thing that I love to do and I think I'm pretty good at is creating something from nothing. My mom tells a story of me having a, a lamp in my bedroom when I was a kid that I made out of a ketchup bottle. Uh, and <laughs> I I just love that. I love to take unexpected things or... Very little resource, and figure out how to make something valuable with it. So,
0: this is where I feel like we're kindred souls. Like that, (laughs) that brokering just an idea into reality is so fun to see and be a part of. And for me, I kind of get to help other women do that. Like I'm sort of the catalyst at this point. Versus, like, yes, I've created my own business. Yes, I've created this podcast. Yes, I'm in the process of of building and growing the 33k project, which is actually my first attempt in a long time to do something physical that's just not a process or a change Mm -hmm. or a perspective Mm -hmm. shift. But I love, and I I just want to say this, I admire what you're doing so much and how multifaceted your solutions seem to be. Mm. Where you're, you've pulled in all of these different things oh. and it's all fitting seamlessly into your your overarching mission. It's really cool mm. to hear and see.
1: Oh, thanks, thanks. Um, I was just going to mention you. you we, I think we both use the word builder there. Uh, y- your listeners might like this because this is one of my favorite things that I refer to all the time. Uh, there's an article titled. There are only four jobs in the world. Are you in the right one? And um, it just talks about sort of the way people tend to work and tend to view the world. Um, And there's someone who is a thinker who sort of has the big ideas and all of the what ifs and sort of the more theoretical space of what could be. Uh, There's somebody who is the builder who can take those theoretical ideas and make something tangible out of it. Um, There's the improver who tends to look at a system and tweaks it and makes it better and more efficient. And then there's the producer who just shows up and does the hard work of getting the same things done over and over and over. And I love that because I think it helps all of us understand our mindset, but I always use it when I'm hiring people as well at any job I've been in. Um because if you don't understand the job that you're moving into, you are not going to like it and your boss is not going to like you. <laughs> so it's you know, if you hire a producer into a job that requires a builder, everybody's going to be really really frustrated. So I just love I just love that approach and it sounds like you and I both, you know, I'm I think I'm maybe equal parts thinker and builder and you probably are too.
0: Yes, because when it when the building gets to a place that it becomes rote, that's where yep. I, I want a producer. I'm like, okay, great. Yep. I've in, I've yep. installed this I'm new out. process. I've turned <laughs> this company around. I've, yep. I used to like early stage startups and I was the controller of several. And I loved coming in when not, there were no systems in place. There were no checks and balances. Sometimes there was no even accounting software. Right. And coming in and like developing that whole process. And then it was a lot of, I'm bored now. Does, does right. someone who likes to just come do these routine things and check boxes want to take this over now? Right, right. <laughs> Kelly, I want to ask you, you, you talk about these four roles and how if you hire into the wrong place or get hired into the wrong place, do you think this is what happened to you as you sort of hit your last position in the corporate world?
1: Yep, yep. At that Scale of business, you know, as much as the overall business might be asking for a builder, what they really need is an improver because you can't turn a ship that big on a dime. And so, you know, I had always been, in fact, somebody as I was entering that role, well, this is funny now that I look back on it. As I was entering that role, uh somebody asked me if I could give an example of a job I had been in where I had done transformational work. And I remember looking at them and like I almost couldn't answer the question because I was like what other kind of work is there to do? <laughs> like I do that. I that's my specialty. You know, and when I when I took the role as chair of the board for the Hoving Home before I accepted that, you know, I said, "Look, you got to know If you want somebody who is going to shake things up and change it and, you know, really build us into the next 50 years and think about how we can improve the capability of the program and make some changes, I am your girl. But if you want somebody who can just maintain and keep on doing what you've been doing, you do not want me in this role because I'm incapable of maintaining. So just know that if I show up, I'm going to break stuff. And I'm always going to start my questions with the words, "Oh, what if we did this or did that?" Which
0: makes so a, it probably made your peers and your boss like want to drive their fingernails into a table when they heard it. Right? Yep. 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 I remember being at PwC and like getting promoted to senior, and then being in that job and having you know my advisor and mentors like say, "All right, here's what you got to do to be manager." And I was sort of looking at everyone that was a manager or above. And I'm like, wait, they all look like 20 years older than they actually are. Most are divorced (laughs) or single. Most are completely unhealthy and out of and, you know, overweight and just exhibiting signs of just poor health mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait. And also you're going to take me away from the work that I actually enjoy doing. And all I'm going to do is routinely manage people and, you know, just start to apply the cookie cutter of bringing in clients or things like that. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it felt like a death sentence. So I can fully appreciate where you were and, and what you're expressing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to remember to ask yourself that, like, Look at people that are around or ahead of you. Is that the life that you want? Because <laughs> yeah. you know, at least for me, I sort of get distracted with the achievement or the title or the prestige or the whatever. And then before you know it, you're like, "Wait a minute! <laughs> I did not know this
0: is where I was going." And I guess so. I have a question for you because this is also something that comes up, and it's funny. It's one of the questions I have on my intake form for new clients. And I'm amazed at how much people actually sort of dodge that answer or try to give me some really like canned answer or legitimately just don't know how to answer it. But it's how do you define success for yourself? Um, I know that I need a challenge.
1: I'm very cranky unless I'm solving a hard problem. And my my husband will always tell me, you need to go find a harder problem to solve because you're taking it out on me and I am not the problem to solve. (laughs) (laughs) So go find one. Uh, So I know that I need that. Um, I need to be in a space that is building and creative. And I also know that I need to have that thinking space. You know, I get very very dissatisfied when my job becomes all task oriented that I I love to be in that. What if, how could we do this better? You know, how can we create the next thing? Um, when I'm, when I'm in roles like that, that is success to me because it doesn't, it doesn't have to be financial. Um, and it kind of, you know, checks all the boxes of the, um, intellectual stimulation that I like.
0: How did you learn that about yourself? Because I think it's easy to get caught up. And I know working in finance in New York, it's easy to get caught up with the spot bonus or the annual bonus or the performance bonus or the salary and just think like, oh, I'll just I'll work towards that that next cookie. And everyone around you is often like, you know, head down, barreling forward towards those things. I know for me personally, like I looked up sometimes and was like, wait, are we all supposed to be running right now? (laughs) Like, Is that where I'm (laughs) supposed to be running to? (laughs) Yep. Um, How did I know? Uh,
1: Well, obviously I got off track a little bit because the affirmation and the achievement is so attractive to me uh, that it's hard not to just follow wherever the bigger pat on the head is, you know, wherever the bigger A plus is. Um, But I I also was, okay, first let me say this. Um, My husband would joke that if I am a junkie about anything, I am a junkie about personality tests. I have never (laughs) met a personality test of any type (laughs) or style that I did not love. Uh, So I'm a little bit obsessed with sort of the understanding of self and the understanding of others through what is the right lens to look at things? Uh, so I guess that's part of the answer is just sort of passionate about how is it that I view the world and what is what is satisfying and gratifying to me? I have always asked those two questions of myself and anytime I was exiting a job, I would you know look back and say what parts of it that I love and what parts of it made me wanna scratch my eyes out And what are the common things, common threads of the things that I loved? Um, And then I could build that list of knowing when I'm looking at the next opportunity, it better have those things in it. Um, it,
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's super helpful for people listening. Um, I am a geek about looking through different lenses, whether it be different dietary lenses, personality lenses, What are some of your favorite personality tests? Well, of course, the Myers-Briggs.
1: I definitely like the disc profile. Um, I have gotten to know the Enneagram a little bit, so I'm just starting to figure that one out. I do definitely, I do definitely like that. Um, I like the uh, I can't remember who wrote the book, but the Strength Strength Finder. Yes,
0: yes. I was just going to say do you, you do know about Strengths Finder two point yep. oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. That's actually a book I try to give to all of my clients if they haven't taken it already, because I think in the work that I do, I want to just play to their strengths as much as I can. Why? Why try to guess when we we actually have a tool that can give us an an, an insight? into like how we can just do the things that feel easier. They may not yep. be easier, but feel easier.
1: Yep. If you were to look at my LinkedIn profile, my StrengthsFinder results are are actually part of my description of myself.
0: <laughs> it's so and funny you say that. My top
1: 5 strengths as assessed by the Gallup StrengthsFinder are blah blah blah. Cuz I find it that that useful. And if you you got to know if you're looking to put me into a role, you got to know how I'm going to come into that. And it's got to be a math match
0: both ways. Absolutely. So wait, so Kelly, what are your strengths? You probably have them memorized right now. hmm Analytical, which means I'm
1: <laughs> not talking. Like, I'm a rigorous, like systems thinker. Um, deliberative, I'm thoughtful and intentional. You know, people sometimes will look at me and be like, you don't do anything randomly. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you had a purpose for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm strategic. I'm a, what if thinker, you know, I'm pretty good. Uh, I, sometimes I say my inside of my head, it's like those, um, boards at the train station where if one train is late by two minutes, everything else, like they all click, 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 click and everything adjusts. Like that's kind of how I see the world is I can anticipate the problem. And then I sort of see how that flows through the whole system. Um, <laughs> Um, Being a connector to other people and building partnerships with common goals and significance. I don't really like this one about myself, but craves achievement. And <laughs> I guess the good part is you actually, you know, you crave the opportunity to enable success in other people as well.
0: Wow. I have to say they sound just even based on our conversation today <laughs> or seeing you speak previously. I was like, yeah, that that's what would probably be what I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know yours? Yes, yes. So what are mine are, and considering I'm a health and lifestyle strategist that helps people solve problems, mm-hmm. uh, the first one is restorative. So oh, yeah. this is adept at dealing with problems and, and mm-hmm. figuring out what's wrong and usually resolving it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And let's say strategic.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so this is about looking for options. That's a word that has always been... In my vocabulary for as long as I can remember, like, what are our options here? Mm-hmm. And sort of like stepping back, also recognizing constraints. Let's yep. see, one is connectedness. Mm-hmm. So, having very strong faith in that all things are connected, not just all people are connected. But I'm, and this probably sounds very woo woo for someone that used to be an accountant for several years, you know, m- more than a decade actually. But having that faith that all things are connected, like that every step that we take is moving something else. And, I mean, as a physicist, it's, I don't know, its not that the butterfly theory? <laughs> <laughs> right, yep. Um, let's see, the others are communication. Not shocking. I have a podcast. I talk to women for a profession. <laughs> and I'm trying to connect women as part of the 33K... Uh, task list project, which that is yes it 's about making art using people 's task lists, but underneath it all the the mission is to change the conversation between how we 're balancing obligation and desire in our lives, like how often are we putting the crap and and rote stuff that isn 't adding any value or meaning to our life on the task list in front of the bucket list things that make our life beautiful and special. Mm. Um, and then the last one is individualization, which is being endlessly fascinated with the unique qualities of of each person or of each situation. Mm. Well, yeah when I, knew I, s- I liked you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. But yeah, I remember when I I you know, I just did this a, a few years ago, a year ago, something like that. I had just stumbled on it. And I was like, wow, no, no wonder I do the work that I do now. No wonder I worked so hard to be doing this work. It just mm-hmm. plays to all of my top five strengths.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Isn't it funny how it works like that? It is.
1: It is. One activity that I've done several times, I, I, every time I do it, I swear it's not going to work. And every time I do it, it does. And it's hilarious, um, is I've done some teaching of larger groups on personality types and particularly I used to do this with sort of preteen early teen girls and we would do the little quiz and figure out everybody's base type and then divide them up into four groups of similar personality type and then I would give them an assignment and about 12 to 15 minutes and the assignment was plan your ideal birthday party oh my god That's, that's all the instruction that I would give them. And I'm telling you, it's hilarious how it comes out because one group will come in and they want elephants and skydiving and, you know, movie stars and their name and lights and these big, huge things. And well, who are you going to invite? How many guests are you going to have? Every single person they've ever laid eyes on in their life, they're going to invite. And then you have one group who like never actually got to the party planning because they physically started listing the addresses of the people to whom they were going to send <laughs> invitations and the date that the invitation needed to go out and which baker they were going to use for the cake and like all of the little details. Um, you know, you have one group if you ask them, well, what kind of cake are you going to have? And they would say, oh, we're going to have two cakes. We're going to have a chocolate cake and we're going to have a vanilla. Like, every time there would be a group that would say, we're gonna have two cakes, one vanilla, one chocolate. Well, why are you gonna do that? Well, because not everybody (laughs) likes chocolate and not everybody likes vanilla. I mean, it's hilarious. And so then you get to have this great conversation of like, you know, the people with the elephants and the hot air balloons and all that, that's great. And everybody's gonna have a great time, but you're never gonna think about the day that you need to send the invitations out. So you better have some of these guys over here who are making a project plan. Because your great party ideas are never going to happen without them. And to the group that's doing all the like little detailed detailed planning, that's great. Everybody's going to show up at the exact date in the exact place, you know, perfectly dressed and nobody's going to have any fun because you're going to manage it to within an inch of the life of the party. you You know, especially for girls of that age to get that conversation going of like your friends are not bad. These other people are not bad. They just view the world from a different lens. And if you can understand the strengths of these other groups together, you'll have the best party because everybody's bringing
0: something different to the table. That is so funny. I love that exercise. I'm filing that one away. Okay. (laughs) That's amazing. And Kelly, hearing so much about your work style and how you really intentionally approach it and stay so consciously connected to like is this going to be the right fit for me is this going to be the right fit for you how does that energy and your skills then translate into how are you going to get things done on the regular like how do you organize and manage yourself how do you set priorities for yourself because it's no joke when you're the ceo and and an entrepreneur? I'm tired.
1: (laughs) 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 Um, oh gosh. I mean, I hate to reuse the word intentionality right back at you, but I think that that's what I do is just really, um, really having an understanding, coming to grips with all of the things that are on the list. Right. Your brain just gets it's David Allen's getting things done. You know, I sort of had a methodology of that. But before he ever made a book, darn it, I should have published mine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The type A woman Um, like, Um, you know, yeah, I have to have everything that needs to get done on a list somewhere. And then I have to have a pretty good understanding of which ones I can allow to break because I'm never going to get to the bottom of the list. And so pretty much everything is sort of managed in those categories of this crap has to get done today, no matter what. Um, I should probably do that this week. And uh, uh, I really should get this done. But let's be honest, I'm just writing it down because I feel guilty if I don't do it. So I'm going to let it sit here long (laughs) enough that
0: I can wait till I don't feel guilty when I delete it. (laughs) I so know that game where I'm like, (laughs) or it's, or at least it's parking it somewhere. So I don't think, oh, I really want to get to do that thing, but it's not a high priority thing. Oh, I want to get to do that thing. And I just keep doing it on repeat. But when I write it down and park it somewhere, it's like my, my digital list is remembering that for me. Right. Right.
1: Yep. I'm a huge Evernote user. I love, I love Evernote. Um, I do love a handwritten to do list. So I sort of keep this master thing in Evernote. And then every, you know, for the week, I'll sit down and write out what I'd like to get done each day. And then kind of every morning, it's what are the critical items for today that have to get done. Uh, I think one of the most helpful things I've ever heard from anybody is to think of your email as a river and that sometimes the water has just gone on by. <laughs> like, <laughs> You can never get to the end of the river and sometimes you just miss it. And if it was really important, somebody else will put it back in the river for you because it's, you are you know, you can't catch up.
0: Absolutely. And I have to laugh because when I reach out to people that have kind of sat on an email that I've sent them for, you know, four or five weeks or something, a lot of times I'll just say, hey, I wanted to float this back to the top of your yep. inbox. <laughs>
1: Your exactly. metaphor
0: works really well for my action. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Glad I could help, <laughs> Kelly. How do you? It sounds like you have a a daily process. Like you're looking at the list and and carving out. And I I do this too. Like I think I'm really maniacal about my digital list. But
1: mm-hmm. there are
0: a lot of days I sit down and I'm like these are the three things I'm going to do and I put them on a post-it and I was like I can't even let myself look or be distracted by email or the rest of that list right now until I do these three things Mm -hmm. so it sounds like you have that daily process do you have like a weekly or a monthly process like do you have any other habits that really help you keep the ship righted
1: kind of embarrassed to tell you all of them
0: (laughs) What right. are the ones you think okay. this crowd would most benefit from hearing?
1: All right. So we're let's just flip through the little planner here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so I have a blank page for the month of October that has usually about five to seven kind of bigger things that need to happen sometime during this month. Uh, and then I have sort of the task list of what are all of the weekly to do's like, so as things come up, I just put them on the weekly list for whichever week they need to be done by. And then usually on Sunday night, I sit down and I pick apart that, um, weekly list and divide it up into a reasonable amount of things, which is never actually reasonable when it happens. (laughs) But in my mind, it was a reasonable amount of things to get done on a daily basis. So I try and spread them out across the day in terms of when is it going to be efficient to batch things together or when do I have meetings and I know I'll be distracted during that day. And still somehow a lot of times I get to the end of the week and I just move the weekly list to the next week. So
0: So the problem is not so much the planning as it is the gatekeeping, I think. (laughs) Yes. And I I have to laugh because I use a digital list, so there are some days where it gets to the end of the day, and I'm like, well, I know I'm not reasonably going to get to this tomorrow or, you know, the next day. So, okay, Mm -hmm. the most reasonable day is going to be for me to do it, like, next Thursday. And then sometimes, because I can't see it, it's like, I'll get to next Thursday, and it's like... I wake up and there's 19 things to do today on my my list. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I didn't do that so hot. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that was ambitious.
0: (laughs) I'm good. I'm not that good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just got, listen, this is the best piece of new technology that I have found in a long time. This is so dumb. I just got the new Samsung Note phone, which is an obnoxiously large device, but I actually love it. And one of the reasons that I bought it is because it has a, a feature, actually has a stylus, with it. But one of the features is that you can write on the blank screen without turning your phone on. And the reason I got it is because I wake up in the middle of the night and I like things shoot out of my subconscious that I need to remember for the next day. And then I'm fumbling for a pen and paper and I turn on the light and then I'm wide awake. But this phone lets you just write it on the black screen and it shows up in a very faded like ink (laughs) and I can literally write it on my phone without ever turning anything on and then I'm not like oh I'm just gonna check those notifications in my mail while I'm awake I just write the thing down go back to sleep it's amazing
0: (laughs) that is one of the coolest things I've ever heard I can see why you're geeking out about this and then like the total like nerd in me is thinking about like wow how she's not impacting the pineal gland and like the effects on the endocrine system by not turning on the light in the middle of the night so and i didn't get the blue light from the phone and then i'm not distracted by facebook (laughs) and i get an a plus for self-care because i didn't like damage my sleep (laughs) i feel like i could ask you like a million questions but I also wanted to get a sense, I've heard about how you're organizing yourself and organizing tasks, when you think about self-care, which is something that is sometimes really a big challenge to the the audience listening, what would you say your most impactful habit is in terms of self-care?:
1: I need a lot of uh, like alone time. I'm really an introvert. Uh, I have a hard time reconciling that with one of my strengths as a connector because I love that. But I also know that um, for me to really be focused and thinking, I I have a thing where if I anticipate being interrupted, I can't really concentrate, I guess. So I know that I just I have to have some alone time to really sort of let my brain do the work it needs to do. If I don't get that, I start to fall apart at the seams. So I think for me that's the most important thing is to just allow myself that interruption free space where my my mind can just sort of think and wander and digest and make connections between pieces of data and information that sort of erupt into these, oh, oh, we should go do this or oh, I need to talk to that person or oh, what you know whatever the next big idea is. But if I don't let that percolating happen, I just sort of lose my mojo.
0: So how do you carve that time out for yourself? Considering you have a personal life and you have this huge business that you're growing quite successfully, which you, I mean, you keep doubling your revenue goals year after year. So things are really cooking with gas. How do you find that?
1: uh i do it in the mornings and so i my team goes into the office uh, a couple hours earlier than i do Um, but i use that time in the morning after my husband leaves for work to just sometimes it's reading and sometimes it's researching and sometimes it's just sort of sitting down and capturing all the things on my mind sometimes it's just the thinking Um, so i i try and start my day with that space which you know, sort of also makes the it makes me feel irresponsible sometimes because I feel like I'm slacking or I'm not actually doing anything. And I have to remind myself that that actually is the most important work that I do. The team does not need me to be a task based leader. Right. No, (laughs) they need me to be a strategic, groundbreaking, visionary, knock it out of the park, go build the business leader, because at the end of the day, that's how they're going to get a paycheck. But there's that little voice in my head that says, you're just sitting here reading an article. You're just sitting here making a list. You know, what are you accomplishing right now? And so I I just have to remind myself how much of an accomplishment and how much value that brings, because it's it's actually the part that I'm best at. And that's what got us here.
0: (laughs) Yes. And how necessary it is. Like, have you seen the work of Todd Henry? I have not. Oh, you would probably dig this book, especially if you're feeling any guilt about taking this time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's written a few books, but the one in particular that I'm thinking of is The Accidental Creative. And it is hands down one of my favorites because he's, he's really practical. Okay, I'm on it. But it's, it's about, like he talks a lot about study time right? That everyone needs mm. study time and then that time away to make these connections. Because if, you know, I I forget what his exact background was, but I know he uses some examples like from the world of advertising and stuff, which is a an industry where they, you know, have people work 20 hours a day in an office and then pretty much like hold a gun to their head and say, give me something creative. and mm. And after, you know, for a while, you can sort of refill and replenish and have those ideas at the ready. After a while, if you are not doing the things to replenish, which it sounds like you're doing, those connections don't happen or they're really, right. they're not going to be as radiant and as creative as I think I'm picking up that that mm-hmm. you've created in your business. And I think that's what our earlier question around, how do you make all these connections and bring all these pieces in that seems so separate. This is how you're mm. you're you're accomplishing that. Right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you'd probably really be. dig that book. Okay. <laughs> On my list. Cool. On my book list. <laughs> with like with the other like 95 <laughs> books, right? <laughs> yes. And Kelly, I also want to hear, do you have any impactful habits in the PM? Like whether that's at the end of your workday or later in the evening or before bed that helps set you up or help you with self-care? I go to the gym at the end of the workday
1: and it's not the most ideal time in terms of efficiency, but it helps me shut work down, else I'm the kind of gal that will just sit here and do it till midnight. (laughs) Um, So it like it physically dragging myself away and like intentionally shifting my focus and mindset uh, that I have found has been a very good habit to help me just shut down and move on to the next thing. Um, Doesn't mean I don't go back to it sometimes later at night, but I'm not a healthy person if I'm just working straight through all the time. Um, so most often it's go to the gym, come home and make dinner, have some time with my husband, and then maybe I'll log back on in the evening, do some emails, do some reading. And then I always try and sit down at the end of the day and make my plan, whatever things I didn't get done on the current day, (laughs) scratch them out or cut and paste and move them to the next day. Uh, so a little bit of planning like that. Um, I try and always have probably two or three nonfiction books always in rotation and I have... Oh, gosh. I have a very long podcast list and a very long Feedly account where I'm, <laughs> a, vor- I'm a voracious reader. So, if, you know, I'm if I'm eating breakfast and there's a cereal box on the table, I'm going to read the cereal box. Because I just, I can't stand for there to be information in front of me and not get a hold of it. I just, I love,
0: <clears throat> I love it. I, I love think it. we so, were split from the was- same egg. I have read the Dr. Bronner's bottle of soap.
1: Oh, And like oh, the yeah, shower. It
0: is- and it's different yeah. directions and fonts and... I probably very detailed. Yeah, I think like, I think if someone, you know, held me hostage, and it was do or die, recite the Dr. Bronner's bottle, I might be able to do that under duress. (laughs) yeah that's impressive because there's a lot of information on there and some
1: of it um I think if people read it closely like there's a lot of philosophies on there that are sort of contradictory (laughs) yes but I always think "Hmm, I wonder if people know that the product they buy says this
0: (laughs) probably not and I I honestly just try to like okay who knows maybe they just had to fill up space to get this design to work but I I completely relate to your I I can't pass by something I'm miserable to go to museums with if you're a person who likes to just sort of cruise through really quick. That is not yep. me. <laughs> yep. Um, those are great habits. And I think one follow-up question, if you don't mind, because I know from client conversations, the physically pulling yourself away from work, what helps you actually cut it off?
1: Well, <laughs> um, you know, I'm laughing now that I said that I went to the gym because then recently one of the gals that, um, works for Unchattered goes to the same gym. And recently I was like, you know, why were you doing this exercise? I was thinking about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> she goes, you ever shut it down? Not really. <laughs> um, I guess, I, I guess the only way to, the the only way for me to really get my mind to stop about stop thinking and solving problems and what ifing and whatever is reading a fiction book. I definitely can get lost in that. And that I think sort of hijacks the mental processes enough to redirect and let that analytical part of the brain just go to sleep for a little bit.
0: Got it. And that's that's solid. I love hearing mm-hmm. these things because I think You know, everyone reads the same articles or like you read Inc and you read like Fast Company and here's how to be a better reader and things like that. But sometimes it really is just as simple as I need to read some fiction fast because otherwise I'm just going to perseverate or cogitate on things constantly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to hijack. I I, I was thinking about that recently. I thought, oh, this is the only way that I really know of to hijack my own brain because even if I'm you know, washing dishes or who knows,
0: whatever, you don't, you're not shutting the mind down. Yeah. For thinking women like us. Yes. I have to, I have to almost trick myself where it's like, right. Go for a walk. And then maybe I listen to a podcast that's not mine so that it's not production mode, but
1: Mm -hmm. listen to a
0: podcast. That's not mine to like, give myself enough mental stimulation to kind of get going. And then, you know, after that, a lot of times I can just cut over to music for a bit or sometimes just nothing. But I need that downshift. Like, I need that cookie. Like, you can think Mm -hmm. about something cool that you've wanted to think about and you haven't had time to today to get me, like, it's the carrot I dangle in front of myself to, like, start (laughs) moving. Because then once I get moving, I know that's the real hijack for me. Like, I'm really kinesthetic. So ideas come and I'll grab them. But, like moving always is is where I'm connecting a lot of dots like in the same way I think that you do in the morning Mm -hmm. yep so yeah I I totally get the idea of hijacking things and I think yeah these are you're presenting some really great ideas for people listening well read a book there you go (laughs) (laughs) read a a book read a work of fiction (laughs) very cool Kelly, I wanted to ask you a few questions that these next few questions are kind of related because we've gotten a chance to know you and and hear the context from which these answers are going to come, which I always think is important when we ask these. But as you can tell, as we talked about my strengths, like connecting women, but also seeing them as individuals in individual situations is something that is so deeply embedded in the work that I do. And that's where these questions are coming from. So I want to start by asking, how would you define being a modern woman?
1: Hmm. Um, You know, I think a lot of the benefit of our generation is that we get to choose the lens that we view ourselves with. Um, you know, I've, I've had conversations with my grandmothers about, you know, if you... If you were living in my world, what, how do you think your life would have been different? Or what do you think that you would have chosen to do? Um, it, and they, they are almost fascinated, I guess, by the choices that I have had in my life. Um, because I, I think a lot of the generation or two or however many before us sort of just got the assignment of motherhood. Um, you know, or maybe they were in the workforce, but they very infrequently had any kind of power or high influence. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think our, our choice about who we get to be and what we pursue is kind of the modern piece of the equation. The, the positive and the negative with that is the freedom is amazing and you get to kind of self-actualize into who, You feel called or created to be Um, the downside is there's this um, also pressure in our world to be amazing, high achiever, successful at everything all of the time. So I guess one thing your listeners should know is I don't have kids. That's by choice. Um, I never felt like that was for me. So we just decided not to do that. Um, But I guess in and of itself, that is a choice for a modern woman of not necessarily feeling the societal pressure or expectation that, that I had to have children. Um, Yeah. So I guess it's, Modern is having both the positive and the negative angles of we get to choose, we get to do just about anything that we want to do, but there are new pressures that come with that, that I think we have all sort of, in this generation, had to learn to handle and navigate on our own.
0: Absolutely. And those pressures are what I hear about a lot, whether it be a private conversation with friends, a private conversation with clients, this podcast. And I think that's where the next two questions come from. So first, what would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about?
1: Mm. Uh, First of all, I guess I'll enter that one close to home in the context of Unchattered is, geez, you guys, you know, for those of us that were given a head start and had parents who said, you can, we support you, we believe in you, you're smart. There are a lot of people in this world who never had the privilege of being told you can or you're capable. Um, And if we can collectively grab a hold of them and help them to believe in themselves, they are a powerhouse of achievements and positive impact on the world that we're all missing out on just for loss of anyone ever giving them an encouraging word. Um, I guess more globally, it's just, you know, women just having this bad reputation of not being able to help one another out and not encouraging one another. But I love being part of this Hudson Valley women in business group that you and I met through that, you know, it's just a phenomenal organization of women who are in it together. It's, it's not a zero sum game, right? Um, that we are more successful together. And in Lari, the founder and I have, you know, spent a lot of time talking about the fact that, you know, this really is emerging as a global model. The Hudson Valley women in the Hudson Valley entrepreneurs building businesses is really becoming a global model of what happens when women work together and support one another. And I'm just thrilled and excited to see these businesses come about and what reputation we're going to build as women when we support and encourage one another in the work that we're doing um, and make it easier for our sisterhood.
0: Yes. And being new to the Hudson Valley, I, I can't believe how supportive the Hudson Valley Women in Business group has been in terms of making me feel welcome and i spoke to the group recently um just about making introductions easier and how we communicate and and draw people into a conversation instead of verbally vomiting on them when we first meet them and i was so surprised by like i guess i shouldn't have been surprised but my my history is not as long with Lori and the tribe that she's built but I, it was a, a speaking event where I just felt like I was not only the speaker, but a participant and just women being really supportive, like after the fact. Hey, that was great. Here's mm-hmm. what I took away from it. And mm-hmm. just, you know, even asking, like, what do you need? I didn't realize you were new. What, do you, you know, how can we help? And mm-hmm. I, I have not seen... I have not been a part of a community that has really just absorbed new people in and just like, yep, come on, we're all going downstream together. Right. Yep. I love it. And the opposite question I want to hear your, your ideas on, Kelly, is what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about?
1: What everybody thinks of each other. <laughs>
0: I mean, I hate to say
1: that as a follow-on. I love it that everybody's supportive, but when you worry that somebody else is worried about you, geez, if we could just let that go, that would free up so much brain power. You know, I... I remember when I was working in the IT industry and I would just, you mess something up or you're not smart enough or you're not whatever. And you go home at the end of the day and you think, oh my gosh, I'm the dumbest person. And why did I say that? And my boss is totally going to fire me and I'm going to (laughs) get yanked off this project and everything's horrible and blah, blah, blah. And I, I like, I physically literally would have to say to myself, my boss is not at his dinner table talking about what a miserable employee I am. Like he has probably (laughs) let it go. If he even noticed the thing that I totally thought I screwed up, you just, we just have to talk ourselves off this ledge of nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. You know, the world thinks I'm terrible. Just probably they're not really thinking that at all because they're thinking the same things about themselves that we're thinking about ourselves. So just letting that go. And I'm not great at laughing at myself or, you know, moving past a mistake. I want to ruminate on it and never, ever make that mistake again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you just got to let it go and think, eh,
0: you'll get him tomorrow. Got it. Got it. Spoken like a true type A woman. <laughs> and it takes one to know one. I mean, <laughs> listeners who have been following along with this right. podcast know I am in recovery at best most days. Right. Right. (laughs) I literally just had a sweatshirt made that says recovering type A. I'm going to a conference coming up and I was like, you know, I know it's going to be freezing in this super duper air conditioned room. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring a sweatshirt so that I'm not freezing and it's going to say recovering type A. I love that. And Kelly, I know I'm going to need to let you go in a few moments so you can keep up with the rest of your day. But I want to offer you a chance to to grab the mic and ask, what do you most want Le Vital Core Salon listeners to know?
1: Um, can I take a hard right on that question? You I, I absolutely can. Some, yeah, okay. So some some context about the last couple of years of my life that I didn't give you uh, that um, I'm passionate about right now, and it does happen to be Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, I. have never had cancer of any type, but I did find out uh, within a week of (laughs) leaving my corporate career that I am a carrier of the genetic uh, predisposition for breast and ovarian cancer. Um, So I carry the BRCA2 gene, which means I have a 50-50 risk of ovarian cancer and an 87% risk of breast cancer. Um, I am 41 years old right now, um, but At the time that I found that out a few years ago, uh, it had never even been on my radar screen, really. I had a grandmother that had ovarian cancer, um, but my dad was an only child, and it came through that line of the family. And I, I had previously been told by a physician in my 20s that genetic cancer could not come through the father's line of that type. Well, that is incorrect. Um, And so, given the spirit of the month, I just want to remind people, obviously, self-care and preventative checks and mammograms are important, but if you have multiple people in your family with incidences of breast, ovarian, skin, pancreatic cancer, um, those can be markers for a, a BRCA genetic mutation. Um, I took complete preventative action. So in the last two years, I've had a complete hysterectomy, um, double mastectomy, and reconstruction. Modern medicine, you would never be able to tell anything happened to me. They did a fabulous job. Um, I'm so glad I got it behind me, and I did not have to go through cancer to, um, to experience that. Um, but just a heads up to your listeners that I, I had no idea that it was rampant in my family line uh, because I didn't have aunts or sisters or cousins that had suffered from breast ovarian cancer. But when I dug into the family history, um, my grandmother and her sisters and all the way down through their family lines, it's it's rampant and I didn't know. So um, I would just encourage people in the spirit of your focus on health and the spirit of this month to investigate a little bit if you know that there might be somebody in your family who has experienced those things. It's a simple blood test or a simple saliva test. Your insurance is required to cover it if I believe there's two incidents um, relatively close in your family line. So have a conversation with your doctor.
0: Kelly, thank you for being so vulnerable and so open about something that had to be so scary for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think it's important for people to really think about this and and take it in whether it's October or any other single day of the year. Yep. And thank you for reminding us like how important it is to be attentive to our health because I think sometimes yep. it's easy to think, "Oh, I'll I'll go take that preventative test later. I'll go get that yep. that thing. I'll go get that gene test done." oh, I'll get to that next month and then the next month and the next month and the next month. So thank you for sharing your story. Yeah.
1: The reason that it came up is I had a lump that had been there for uh, nearly 20 years. I had had it checked before by a physician who at the time said, oh, you're too young. It's nothing. Um, And then after a while, it was just like it was a little painful and they had said, Oh, if we take it out, you're going to have scar tissue and that'll be worse. And so I just let it go until, um, you know, I knew I was leaving my job. You know, I was on the corporate insurance. So I wanted to get a few things taken care of before I headed out. But if I had not left my job, I would have never made the time to go even have the doctor's appointment. And the the thing I had was totally benign. It was, it was nothing. Um, but it was that appointment that was the catalyst for a physician for the first time to say, huh, have you ever considered that possibly you might be a carrier of the mutation? And I'm telling you, if I would have stayed in my career, I would never have made that appointment because I was too stinking busy and I could be in a hot mess right now (laughs) (laughs) if I didn't get ahead of that. So I'm so grateful for that. You know, it was an avenue I did not anticipate in all of the shift and change in my life. Um, but I am so grateful, so grateful that um, that I I got I got to have the opportunity to know ahead of time and to do something about it,
0: and so resilient. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, I can't thank you enough, Kelly. Like oh. every time I invite a woman to come hang out in the salon with me, I am mm-hmm. endlessly grateful. I am endlessly educated and inspired, and. Really, I I feel like I've teared up about three times and I don't know, maybe I don't know where I am in my cycle this month. Maybe that's part of it, but I am extra schmoop talking to you today. I think your message, thank you for that PSA. Thank you for reminding us all that we are not too busy to take care of ourselves. I thank thank you for saying that in a voice that's other than me nagging (laughs) Mm because sometimes I feel like people tune me out because that's what I talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And thank you for sharing the amazing work that you're doing with the most inspiring women at Unshattered. Really, Mm -hmm. the story, their stories, your story, and the story of the mission is so deeply inspiring. So thank you for all the work that you do in the world.
1: Oh, thank you for having me on. It was a delight to hang out with you. I'm so glad that you gave me the chance to share the platform of these gals and to celebrate. Really, it's it's their hard work. It's the work that they do every day to show up and make better choices and figure out who they are and just lean into their own calling. Uh, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. So I'm so grateful for the chance to share that with
0: your listeners. Thank you again. everyone this is cara again i just want to say thank you so much this podcast has been going for a bit more than a year now and i just want to thank you all for for showing up and listening and sharing and tuning in and coming back i truly appreciate it And I just want to remind you, as always, you can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over at le vital, V I T A L, core, C O R P S, salon, S A L O N dot com. So, le vital core salon. And new shows will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. And if you want to make sure that you know when those episodes are coming out or when new ones are up to listen to, the two best things that you can do is either one, subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and it'll automatically deliver to your phone and be ready for you when you're ready for it. Or the other thing that you can do is sign up for the newsletter. And so twice a month, I will be sharing the podcast, health and lifestyle tips news and updates of events that you can partake in so you can find that link to sign up at levitalcorsalon.com as well so i encourage you to do that so we can stay in touch and you'll know when everything's happening as always thank you to craig snyder for making this show sound great Thank you to Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing the theme song, and thank you to the High Dials for performing the kick ass theme song. Don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let the bullshit or burnout slow you down.